that's what Ruby did for me. You know, Ruby opened the door for me to, to challenge my own existence as a, as a brown man in this world. On today's First Gen Friends episode, I'm sitting down with someone very inspiring to me for so many reasons that we'll get into. We recently met at the New York and Poets Cafe in New York City where he was celebrating and premiering his new podcast called Ruby Rosa with Christopher Rivas. And he also did a Q&A for his new book, Brown Enough, True Stories About Love, Violence, the Student Loan Crisis, Hollywood, Race, Familia, and Making It in America. You may have also seen him on Grey's Anatomy, Two Broke Girls, NCIS Los Angeles, but more recently as Oscar on Call Me Cat. I'm so excited for you to listen to this story. This is actor, author, podcaster, and storyteller, Christopher Rivas. Christopher Rivas, welcome to the First Gen Friends podcast. Hi, everyone listening. Hi, you. Hello, hello. So I want to start from the beginning. Who is Christopher Rivas? Yeah, I, uh, my parents, my dad's Dominican from Santo Domingo. My mom's Colombian uh, from Medellin. And um, they, my mom was born and raised in Colombia. She moved here as a young girl. My father uh, was born in the same hospital I was born in, in Manhattan. I spent a lot of time in the DR. Uh, and and yeah, and then you get me, uh, some like a kid in Queens, uh, having all of that. And Queens being one of the most diverse places in the world, I think, especially Jackson Heights, where my grandma lived. I'm, I'm actually convinced there actually might be numbers. I'm not going to go out and quote them or throw them out, but I think there are numbers about the diversity of Jackson Heights. Yes. So it's actually the most diverse in, I want to say, in the U.S. Um, yeah. My mom actually came from El Salvador and lived in Jackson Heights. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, yeah. It's an incredible place. And I think it's still incredible from what I've heard. Like, I haven't been in a minute. My grandmother is no longer there, you know, rest her soul. Uh, but it's, it's, that was super influential for me. I listened to the podcast, Ruby Rosa, and I laughed, I cried, and I think it was just the way it was done. So, one, the format, this documentary format that you created, the storytelling, the sound, I felt like I was there with you. And the second thing was just how much I resonated with your story as a first-gen Latina that grew up with a mom who was a super of her building and hearing yours was. So then I'm like, was all of our parents a super of our building? I'd be yeah. so fascinated. I just want to know, like, how do I, how do I reach all, how do we create a support group for kids of supers? Um, <laughs> because now that you're saying it, I, I was just shooting a, a little film in the DR and the director also grew up in well she grew up in jersey but dominican okay. whose father was a super and she said Isn't the that... same she was like you always listen to this she's like what like are you kidding me dominican super like so so i'm now starting to think that's the next like little niche i need to find is like how do i find all the supers kids okay so let's talk porfirio ruby rosa which is the inspiration behind your podcast who is Porfirio Ruby Rosa, and why was it so important for you to tell his story? Yeah, so he was uh, an unbelievable human, uh, for good and for bad. To be unbelievable is not just like you're the you know an angel. 
Uh, you can see you can be unbelievable for many reasons. Yeah. He was a diplomat for the Dominican Republic. He was twice the richest man in the world. He lived all over the world, lived in Hitler's Germany, Fidel's Cuba, uh, he, Trujillo's DR, married to Barbara Hutton, uh, Doris Duke, many other, you know, was connected and likely dated or slept with every other heiress or princess of the time. You know, he's known as the last living playboy. He was followed by the FBI for 17 years, possibly a spy, possibly committed wow. murder. Uh, and is the inspiration for James Bond, as I've come to realize it, uh, the yeah. James, Ian Fleming's inspiration for James Bond. And I've discovered this in college and it really cracked my world open because I was a young artist, actor, and a mainly white theater conservatory. I loved James Bond as a kid. I loved it so freaking much. Uh, I wanted to be an action star. I wanted to be Bond. And I asked the simple question when I when I discovered Ruby Rosa, like, how would my life have been different if the character I love most as a child looked like me or looked like my pops? You know, have my nose, my skin, my hair. Would I have tried so badly to be like them, you know, and them being whiteness as a whole? And so that's who Porfirio is. And the podcast we created is this side by side that looks at Bond as an idea. Bond, media, Hollywood, Ruby Rosa, the man, and my own life. You know, what, what does it mean to be a brown man in America moving through the world? And so that's Porfirio, and he has been uh, haunting me, living with me, uh, <laughs> teaching me for many years now. Something that also stood out was when you, when you discovered him and how, to your point, you were obsessed with James Bond, and then you realized, like, oh, this guy actually looks like me and had i known earlier those are the people that would inspire you yeah we are always for making heroes or finding heroes or yeah we, we need them to an extent because something has to teach us how to live or what to grow into yeah or how to be cool or how to be this or how to be whatever whatever it is we think we want to be uh and there was an image of that of for me of manliness you know and in the podcast we even challenge what is manliness what is that what is that conceit what is that image what have i been taught um what have i played into what do i believe about it so yeah uh that's part of it 100 percent. you know like i i looked up to this, this 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 thing this thing that was sold to me i looked up to jennifer lopez and selena and shakira and those are my main mainstream people I looked up to, whereas today there are more people that look like me who are being celebrated, but they weren't back then. So I relate to that as well. I don't have a bad bunny, you know, in a way, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even have Selena or JLo. Like, I, I like I yeah. had them, but like, I wasn't gonna like, I'm gonna be like JLo. <laughs> <You know? laughs> you know, like, I want to be JLo's drummer in that I'm gonna, movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be Shakira. Uh, yeah, Jello's we, drummer like, is the guy who uh, uh, you're talking about in in Selena the movie. In yeah, the guy who the she guy who ends up marrying. Hot sauce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. like that movie. was that was who you had aspired to be like yeah. back then. Um, but yeah, now we have Bad Bunny. It's very important. It's very special. I just saw Bad Bunny in Fenway Park. You know, I saw forty thousand people, like 
crying, weeping, uh, singing. The man didn't need to do anything. He didn't yeah, he just came on 40,000 people did it for him. Like, uh, and it is, it is exceptional for so many more reasons besides the music. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's really, it's really special. And you're right, we did not have that. But now we get to create that because, like, look at what we're doing, right? We're creating these spaces for us to feel safe and to talk about it. And you're probably an inspiration to other boys who are like, I want to do that. I want to be an author. I want to be an actor. I want to be a podcaster. And that's giving them some kind of hope where I feel like when we were younger, we're like, oh, I can't do that. I'm not white. Or at least that's how I would feel. I hope so. You know, and that's what that's what John Leguizamo did for me when I saw Freak on Broadway. Uh, it's the first time I think I really did see myself on what is known as a, I don't know, a grander stage. Like I saw, yeah. I saw a bunch of white people in a theater, uh, paying attention to a Colombian kid who grew up in Queens. I saw yeah. so much of myself in that, and I saw them cry with him, laugh with him you know, give them their full attention with open hearts. And that gave me the courage to say, oh, well, if he can do it, I can do it. That's one of, you know, my other friends had 12, 13 examples, 15 examples of people they could become or places yeah. where they felt safe. You know, I, I was very blessed to, to find one. In your podcast, something that resonated with me, which I, I, I wrote to you in a letter on your birthday, actually, about code switching and how your father would basically change his tone and personality to his audience. But then also going so far as to changing his name so that people could pronounce it or so he could fit in. Like, how did that make you feel? Because I think you found out about it later in life. Or did you did, know yeah. at the time that he was doing that? So I found out later in life. I'll, I'll be honest, a lot of the conversations you hear in the podcast are first they're not, uh, they're not like recycled. I, I never really made the room to sit down and have these conversations. I don't know how many of us do with our parents. Uh -uh. I think we think they're just complete people. Like, and we have our own shit to figure out. Yeah. But I was able, the blessing of this project was I was able to make the room and they were so generous and open with the truth. Um, of their own experience because they're having a whole other experience when they have a kid and they're trying to make it in America and they're, you know, trying to figure it out and they're trying to put food on the table and, you know, get out of debt and figure out how to, you know, build a life. And, but, but then I don't, I don't make time for that until I'm older and I sit down with them and I hear these things about my dad, you know, not, not liking that people were pronouncing his name wrong and, you know, picking a name that was more easily approachable. Uh, easier to get jobs. Uh, hearing things about my parents' relationship to me and Dominican Republic and Colombia, like why I didn't visit there as a child, why they didn't want to teach me Spanish, all this kind of stuff. Uh, that's what Ruby did for me. You know, Ruby opened this door for me to to challenge my own existence as a as a brown man in this world. Uh, better than that with the names is pretty recently my dad. <laughs> My dad went on some like YouTube rabbit hole of, uh, I used to teach storytelling classes, um, a lot of them. I taught them for many, many years all throughout the country. Uh, I would do it with high schoolers too. And, and a lot of them are online, like on YouTube. And 
basically, I would do a, a workshop of personal storytelling, like moth style, true personal stories told live for performance. And then we would have a final sharing. And this one young woman named Marianelli, which is a native name, uh, it means it means you like grass, uh, grass that grows, the miracle that is grass that grows. And he watched this video. I forgot about this video, but he like calls me and he's crying. And he said, I watched this thing and this young girl changed her name. She said, everyone call me Molly. You know, all throughout, she was like, no one can pronounce Marianelli. So Molly, Molly, it's Molly, Molly, Molly's fine. And then she asked her parents what the name actually meant. And, and the parents said, it basically means miracle because the grass keeps growing no matter how much you step on it. And she was the miracle to their family. She was the fact that like they could be stepped on when she came, she was growth. They were growing and she decided to reclaim her name. And so my dad watched this thing that this high schooler said, you know, in East Los Angeles, and he was moved to tears and he called me and he said, you know, that's why I changed my name. I get it, you know, but I never had the power to reclaim it. Uh, so there's like healing and growth happening in so many ways, but yeah, that's my, that's my, that's a beautiful name story that my pops recently shared. With me. Wow. That's a beautiful story. Your dad is just fabulous. He's so much, he was so much fun to listen to as well. He's podcast. really the star and of the show, huh? He is just a character and I, like, I want to meet him. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I need to know this man. Um, I got a lot of messages that people have been like, yo, your pop is a trip. I mean, he needs his own podcast. Have you thought yeah. about this? A spinoff show? <laughs> well, you know, after Ruby Rosa, it turns into the Brown Enough podcast. And uh, he's, he's a, I'm not like, he's not a big part, but he's a consistent part of it. Meaning Good. like we do these, we do these random check-ins with Pops. When you started digging into the world of Ruby Rosa, was there anything that stood out to you that you related to? Oh gosh, where to begin? Uh, What's well, the first thing this, that comes to mind? You know, this desire to be seen, which being seen is a big, it's a big theme in my work. Uh, it's a big theme in my book. I think as humans, we all want to be seen. Like, I think that's just inherent in us. We all want to know that we are worth it, that we belong here, uh, yeah. that our voice matters, that our experience matters, you know. Uh, and then there's the part of that when you think about bodies of culture, which is like, who do you want to be seen by and why and what for? And Ruby, I think greatly, 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 greatly needed to be seen by, by whiteness. I think he tried desperately to fit in to, you know, he tried to be a Hollywood star and they wouldn't let him. They legit denied him. He had like a movie deal going with Jaja Gabor and it was going to be this Western. He's taking acting lessons from Humphrey Bogart. And, My God. You know, he tried to do it. He tried to make it, whatever that means. And he was denied. And I think, you know, like, I don't want to give a sort of spoiler, but. Yeah, nothing was ever much. enough. Need... You know, like nothing was ever enough. He could never be seen enough. And where does that drive us? I guess is the, you know, like I'll leave that as the cliffhanger. Like, what happens when 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 we can have so much and yet it's never enough? Right. You know, like this man who did so much was completely forgotten by the world. Right. 
if anything, he was stolen by the world, you know, like I I often say his essence stolen, turned into something else, something white, palatable and sellable. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Gosh, it's just so interesting that this guy had such a huge impact on all these like really household names and relationships and friendships. But when I see you and I see your videos of you asking people on the street, even Dominican people, and you ask them who they are, right? And they're like, no, I don't know who that is. I'm just like, how? You know, I I only learned about him through you. And then I be, went into my own black hole. I mean, it's outstanding. It's like, I, you know, when I read that article in Vanity Fair that introduced me to him, I was like, why is no one else upset? How am I? What? Or obsessed. <laughs> You know, like what, how did no one get hooked like me? Uh, which yeah. is why I, I return to the language that I think we chose each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I believe I do a beautiful job at, or a needed job in the podcast, that this this podcast is not about glorifying him. You know, the man is so much more of a warning to me of what I can become, might become, uh, He is a he is a real lesson and signpost for how bodies of culture can move through this world, for better and for worse. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. But also the complexity of people. I think that's one of the weird things about like Instagram is that like people believe or social media, they they like pick a thing that they are. Yeah. They literally put themselves in boxes consistently. Uh, and where is the room for complexity? Right. Where is the room to be so many different things? Because uh, we are. What's amazing about him is like, sure, you saw your experience and my experience, but also like, none of us have been diplomats for a country, have lived, <laughs> you know, in all these different places, have all this money, lost all this money, blah, blah, blah. and yet we see so much of ourselves in Ruby. Yeah. So many people do. We see ourselves in the wanting and the trying and the desire and the lust, uh, you know, in the adventure. Uh, that's why he feels so unique as a person. Yeah. Because so many of relatable. us can see, relatable. So many of us can see ourselves in this person. Yeah. That's what I love about storytelling. I actually believe that's the beauty of storytelling is that when we're being honest about what we know and what we don't know, mm-hmm. more important what we don't know, because everybody's trying to tell you what they know, but nobody's out here like trying to tell you what they don't know. Listen, yeah. When we share stories with people, and this is why personal storytelling is so beautiful, I would say more often than not, we relate to it. Because it's not selling you anything. It's just an honest sharing of an experience. And you say, yo, I see myself in that. Because at the, at the base of every story, of every experience, there's a couple of things. Someone wanting to be loved. Someone fucking up. You know, someone looking for an apology. Someone wanting to give an apology. Ego, lust, desire, joy. All the, we got all of that. Everybody's done that. Mm-hmm. At the real base of, of that humanness. And so that's why I think personal storytelling is so beautiful. That was beautifully said, and I feel like that's what drew me into the First Gen Friends podcast to begin with, because 
I'm telling the stories of so many different people. The amount of times people will reach out to me and be like, this was my favorite episode. I related to this because of X. I related to this because of Y. I'm like, damn, I didn't know that many people experienced that niche of a thing, right? So it's building this community that I didn't have growing up. And like I mentioned before, I felt alone so much. So I hope that this podcast will help other people feel like, okay, I'm not alone. Well, we think our experience is singular. Yeah. That's like the, that's the, one of the concepts in Buddhism I really love is, uh, how can you know that you're having a singular experience and also you're not really special at all at the same time? Yeah. <laughs> like, like it's happened millions of times. It's happening right now to so many people. Like yep. it's, it, it's one thread and it's no thread all at the same time. Yeah. Like and you're then, made of stars, but you're also made of dust. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then imagine like how social media plays into that, right? Just how people feel depression and isolation, even worse because you're looking at these reels of people's lives that sometimes aren't actually real. They're pitching um, you something. They're selling you a dream. Yeah, selling exactly. selling you an idea. You forget that you're being sold something. Yeah. There's this book uh, which... A fantastic book that is called Wanting by Luke Burgess. Have you heard Ooh. of it or read it? I haven't, but I like the title. Yeah, it will blow <laughs> your mind. Read that book. It's it's fantastic. It'll change your whole life. <laughs> but let's move on to your book, Brown Enough. So what was it that inspired you? And what's you you know, what should people expect from it? Yeah, so what inspired me was uh I mean Ruby's actually one thing, but the, the, the catalyst, like the tipping point for that book of, I saw Ta-Nehisi Coates speak at an event, uh, great writer, great thinker, great man, great intellect. And he was speaking about sort of race politics in America, which was black and white. Uh, and I asked him a question, you know, in this conversation of black and white, where, do, where am I, you know, and, brown, Dominican, Colombian, Afro-Latino man in the conversation. And he said, not in it. And so, like I said, questions wow. more than answers. I really went home asking, why am I not in it? What does it mean to not be in it? What would it have been like had I been in it? Yeah. You know, in what? I had all these sort right. of questions. And so, and so I, I went on in search of, of what it means to be in it, you know? What does it mean to be a brown body in a black and white world? What is the role of brownness? Uh, and so I wrote this book. I'm really proud of it. It's really beautiful, you know, and uh, it, it is sort of my manifesto to taking up space, to being seen. I hope everyone who reads it finds the medicine that, you know, they, they are a value, that they are seen, that their experience matters, that their uniqueness matters, that their identity matters that there are things they don't know matter, you know, they take up space. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's so that's the book. When you talk about not being involved in the narrative, when you were younger, do you remember any times where you felt that you were excluded? Gosh, where to begin, you know, like, uh, I'm gonna start with with media and just the television. You know, I wanted to be television shows you cool people. And when they show you like losers, <laughs> they really show them to you, you know, <laughs> like, uh, and I wanted, I wanted to be like the cool kids on TV, 
you know, sort of something I wanted to be. Like that was my that was my that was my example. That was my lesson. Um, I don't know why I sort of chose that as my as my as my research laboratory, but it was. But I didn't look like any of those cool kids. Uh, they didn't come from where I came from. Their pops were wearing supers. Uh, you know, they didn't have my nose or my hair. And so there was a subtle, even if I didn't have verbal language, to knowing that I wasn't enough. Um, and yet, I still chose this profession where I was like, you know what, fuck that. I am. I am enough, you know. But but deep down inside, there's still that battle, right? There's that contradictory nature that says, like, but I still didn't see it. So, like, am I really trying to break into something that's not made for me? You know, and so then there's this chip on my shoulder. And it's just like crazy formula of like, I got to prove it. I got to prove it to someone. I got to prove it to myself. I got to prove it to whiteness, to society. You know, like it's not made for me, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so I guess the first example is that sort of the television. And then as growing up, you know, like as I started to meet my own, what does it mean to be Latinidad, to be proud, to be proudly brown? You know, I had to challenge my own stuff why yo why didn't my parents teach me spanish why's my spanish so shitty why did i pretend it like i knew spanish better than i did you know the lies around that the 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 code switching to to act like i am some sort of perfect latino what does it mean to be a perfect latino what does it mean to be latino what is latino again questions you know I, i'm driven more by the questions than the answers and, um and and being honest with them because unbraiding the stuff in us takes a lot of time. So much is braided into us, so much trauma, so much stuff that's not even our own, that unbraiding yeah. takes a lot of courage and a lot of time. Similar to you, I was like, <laughs> I'm going to college. There's literally no money for me to go to college, but I'm gonna do everything I can to go to college. I graduated, I ended up working in finance. I live in an apartment in the city, which was always my dream. And now I get to do a podcast to share people's stories. And like, I feel like I've made it right. I feel like mm. I proved everyone wrong. You do feel like you made it? You're good? You chill? I mean, there's more I want to do. But I do feel like I've come a long way from that person and who people thought I was. But to your point, I definitely do still have a chip on my shoulder where I'm like, you guys thought I was going to be nothing because of the color of my skin. But here I am. You know, when it comes to reaching more people, I, I read this thing recently, all things manifest in time. And uh, the example they gave, you know, was uh, Jesus had 12 followers. <laughs> now he's got, you know, however many billions. <laughs> Muhammad had 10 followers, you know, now he's got like another billion. You know, Buddha had 500 yeah. followers. Now he's got all things manifest in time. It might not be your time. It might not be your yeah, thought. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's more of, you know, if it's 100 people that I impact, it's more about the impact I'm making versus, like, having 50,000 followers. You know, I think for me it's just when people tell me I've made a difference to them in any kind of way. Like last week was my birthday, and I got the nicest hey, happy messages. Thanks. From people that made me cry. And these are people I mm -hmm. have not met in real life. But just knowing that I've touched someone, I'm like, that's so nice that I could do that for you, which is really special. But anyway, this is about you, not me. It's about all of uh, us. No, it is. It's about <laughs> yeah. all of us. It really is. This is what we need.
more of. We just, you know, yeah. we need more people in all capacities taking up space. Because what yeah. you're doing is an act of taking up space. You're creating space and you're taking up space simultaneously, which is really beautiful. And so whether it's Bad Bunny and Fenway, a podcast for the ears, you know, a hug, seeing the person at the grocery store and actually seeing them, all of it, it matters. Yeah. All of it is important. All of it. Yeah. I agree. And thank you for saying that. That was very nice. Um, something that I always ask on the podcast is the American dream. Did you have one? And when did you even know that was a thing? I'm this, still in it. This quote unquote American dream. <laughs> I'm still in it. You know, the, I think the best chapter in the book is called the American dream. The con that is the American dream. Uh, that's my yes. experience with oh college, my and college and student loans and, uh, you know, this dream that is sold yeah. to us, uh, whose dream is it, right? When I talk about what's braided within us, these ideas of, of a dream of colonialism, of capitalism, of making it, it is braided so deep within us. that it will take so long to do the unbraiding as a society. We can do it on a personal level, and we are. A lot of people are. As a society, it will take a while. Um, you know, so my American dream started from the moment my parents were broke as hell. <laughs> like, uh, you know, my 21-year-old my pregnant mother uh, tells my pops that she's pregnant you know, at 3 a.m. on the 7 train. And he says, let's do it. Let's give them everything we never had. And they they attach themselves to that dream, which is a beautiful dream, right? They want to give us a better life than they had. They were both hungry. Yeah. You know, they both deal with poverty and, and, and shitty parenting. Uh, you know, like, um, but they attach themselves yeah. to that dream. Uh, but that dream often for bodies of culture in this country sells you something that is often unattainable but they sell it to you and they talk about it a lot because them selling it to you means you have to invest in them their ways of life their products their living their dreams their colleges their loans their mortgages yeah. their credit cards their cars. Uh, so I think my American dream was also to be the, the one who, uh, who like went to college in my family because my parents didn't go, made it as an actor and then, you know, got to buy my parents' house because, because I saw that. That was, I thought that was possible. I mean, it is possible. Uh, you know, um, I'm not anti-dreaming. Dream, 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 dream a lot. Dream a lot. Dream big. Challenge who your dreams are for, what they're for, and if they'll actually bring you what you're looking for. Have a real intimate, deep sit with your dreams and see if they're yours or someone else's. I often say in storytelling, everything is a story, one we've been made to believe or chosen to believe, knowing the difference is profound.
It was so incredible to listen to Christopher's story and all the things that he faced. But it was also really cool how much I could relate to him and his podcast and his book. I read it and I listened to it and I felt like every five minutes when I would hear something or read something, I'd be like, oh my God, me too. And I think that's what he means by just creating a space for other people to feel included and for us to all feel like we're not alone. And something that I always remember was I never felt like I belonged anywhere. And now I feel like I'm creating that space. And I hope that I can give that to other people who may feel like they don't belong. There's one more question I asked him about. (laughs) And it's in reference to an article he posted in the New York Times that caused a little bit of a stir. Here it is. Okay, a little scandalous question coming your way. In 2019, you published an article in the New York Times called, I broke up with her because she's white where you talk about your experience dating white women and feeling like you needed to choose a side. What was the response from that that you got? Oh, it's crazy. (laughs) It did did really well. Let's just say that. Um, I kind of got warned about it. You know, like they were like, okay, you're going to get like death threats, marriage proposals, you know, gratitude, hate. And I got it all for real. I got it all. Uh, At that time in my life, you could find my email on the internet. You cannot anymore, which is nice. Uh, and I read all of these messages. You actually wow. haven't heard the episode of Rubirosa yet. We get into that tomorrow. I think it comes out. No, today. The next yes. episode that comes out, we get into that. And we read a lot of the messages that I got. Because I read them all. Like, I read them all. It was crazy. I mean, the, the, the things people say, uh, the things people feel like they have, the ability or the fucking like, you know, that's where I'm like, you would never Balls. say this to someone's face. Um, you know, I got compared to Jim Crow, like wild. I became like a symbol for woke racism. There's this like, you know, uh, like neo-Nazi guy on YouTube with a million subscribers. And like my article became like a symbol that like, he can say this, but I can't say this. And uh, yeah. it's crazy. Um, I loved every bit of it, you know, like some shit sort of hurt my feelings, but like I loved every bit of it because I I do like work that really does disrupt spaces. I believe in disruption. It's a big part of my work, disrupting sort of traditionally white and binary spaces. Uh, The whole thing with that article was really about asking the question, again, the theme of my work. I needed to know who I was attracted to and why. Why? Is it because every movie and TV show and storyline told me that these women were the ideal women to have? That they are what beauty is, they are what mobility and success looks like, you know, the white savior. I needed to challenge that on my own. I had to ask the question and I had to challenge it. And I have arrived to a place where I feel like I'm good. I did that work. Like I legit did the work, (laughs) you know, the unbraiding again, right? 
I did the unbraiding. So it's been three years since you published that article. What do you feel you've changed within yourself since then? I think less about sort of my desire, that version of my desire. I often think about my desires because, you know, you know, we've got a whole bunch of levels of desires, but that version of my desire around around people and relationships, um, I feel more confident in. Uh, I know that I do know the value of being seen by people who understand shared experiences and that bodies of culture do have a shared experience. I know what it's like to not be the only sort of, I know that I like to be in spaces where there's more people who look like me, sound like me, come from where I come from. I feel more comfortable in those spaces. I spent too long being in just white spaces. Um, so these are all things I know about myself, yeah.